When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions, usually washed down with three glasses of wine. But today we're sticking with the soft stuff because my guest is a recovering alcoholic who's been sober for eight years now. She first marched onto our screens alongside her partner in fashion crimes, Trilly Woodall, 20 years ago, hosting the BBC's What Not To Wear, in which the pair were feared, revered and celebrated for their no-nonsense, tough love approach to making women over and making them feel good about themselves. The show catapulted them to international fame, landing them slots on everything from The Oprah Winfrey Show to the Oscars red carpet. In 2007, ITV poached them, but their time on the channel was short-lived when their show Undress the Nation was met with a backlash over the amount of nudity it showed before the nine o'clock watershed, prompting the duo to eventually go their separate ways. Whilst they remain firm friends to this day, it was a transition she found hard, hitting the bottle before eventually seeking help eight years ago. Her father, an old Etonian, made a fortune in property and shipping, and having attended boarding schools, she started a working life as a Montessori teacher, and then in the boutiques and fashion houses of London and New York, before moving into journalism. In 1994, she met Trini at a party thrown by David Viscount Lindley, Princess Margaret's son, who was her long-term boyfriend at the time. And with Trini, she began a fashion column some two years later for The Telegraph, which later morphed into What Not To Wear. Now 58, she remains happily married to Danish businessman Sten Bertelstein. And after 26 years, they have now got 
three children, Joe 22, Esme 19, and 17-year-old Cece. As well as writing novels, she now also hosts her own podcast, My Wardrobe Malfunction, in which she cleverly grills her celebrity guests on their relationship with their wardrobes and the many life events that sit around them. So let's dial her up. It's Susanna Constantine. Good morning, good morning, good morning. You vision of, well, loveliness. Look at that. I tell you this, you've caught me on a, at a good moment because I've just been having my hair and makeup done because I'm doing a shoot. And uh, normally I would be, I wouldn't have clean hair and I'd have no makeup on <laughs> and I'd be in some kind of disgusting item that I've worn for about five days in a row. So you've hit the jackpot, Kate. <laughs> it's really good to see. And also, can I just commend you on the coordination of your crockery behind you all beautifully coordinated color wise just lovely yeah that is quite nice yeah this is like this is kind of the office this is the hub center of um my home it's the nerve center since uh, since we've all been in lockdown because you like like i have been incredibly busy podcasting and i came on your podcast and shared all manner of embarrassments with you which was really good fun no, you were amazing, Kate. And um, I mean, it's interesting, um, the, the podcast, My Wardrobe Malfunction. Um, it's like, and I'm sure it's going to be the same with you, that, you know, you take an innocuous subject like clothes and there's, everyone has so many memories attached to items that they've worn. And, um, and I think people also are so relieved not to talk about the next fucking book that's coming out or <laughs> film or TV series, just to talk about something totally different for a change. But what's smart about it is it's kind of, um, it's a device and a mechanism to unlock um, kind of really emotional gateways in terms of people's experiences, lives. It's at them at their most vulnerable, at their most fabulous. So actually, it's quite symbolic in terms of mm. where the conversation leads. And you've had some cracking guests. I mean, geez, Jane Seymour, Kristen Scott Thomas. Kristen, she was amazing. You know, I turned up at her house. I, mean, I, I, I didn't know her at all. And I weirdly, I just contacted her through Instagram. And, um, you know, long drawn out sort of begging message. And <laughs> <Did you? laughs> I got a kind of very shortcut one back saying, why not? And then I thought, oh, my God. And her reputation, like the characters she plays, is that she's quite frosty. Anyway, we turned up at her house and clearly she'd forgotten that we were coming. <laughs> and she she looked like shit. And... Um, so she opened the door, she went, oh, my God, I forgot. And I said, clearly, you look like you're wearing clothes that you've dragged out of your dog basket. And I thought, that could have gone one of either way. Anyway, she laughed and she was she was amazing. She was so interesting and so lovely and, uh, yeah, and has always been a bit of an icon of mine, so I was thrilled to meet her. So, yeah, and so, so you just literally slide into people's DMs on a wing and a prayer, sometimes cold calling. Yeah, so I did the same with um, Daisy May Cooper. Oh, isn't she um, great? She's been on ours as well. God, I love her. I love her. And we become good friends now. And um, she's amazing. And she, we just spent like two hours in hysterical laughter. And yeah, she's great. What I love Instagram for is exactly what we've just been discussing, that ability to connect with people. And if they don't want to come back to you, that's totally fine. But sometimes you can make the most extraordinary connections, can't you? Mm. No, it's amazing. And then when I, when I went public about being um, an alcoholic, and um, 
I've had, I was so overwhelmed by messages from women in particular who were struggling. Mm. And um, that has been such a privilege for me to A, read their stories and B, be able to help them. And every single person, when it comes to that, I will respond to and try and help in the best way I can, basically by sharing my own experience with alcohol. And that, that's been really rewarding. And um, yeah, so I think it's a great tool in so many different ways. You waited for a long time to publicly um, announce that you were sober and that you'd you you'd completed well you're 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 still a recovering alcoholic you're never not a recovering alcoholic are you is it something you wish you'd done sooner or was the time just right for you then I didn't really think about it I didn't think about talking about it or not talking about it I've always been very open with you know friends and people I work with and been very open about it and it was just it kind of came up in a conversation on another podcast I did and then you know it kind of hit the um, media a bit and and then I, I was basically I was reading all the statistics during lockdown about the the percent the high percentage of women who were um, you know reaching out for help and I thought okay now's the time because there's so much shame attached to being um, an alcoholic and having a problem with booze and so I thought okay now now's the time to just try and alleviate some of that shame for women and saying you know hello. I've been there, I know how you're feeling. And I think for women in particular, there are so many sort of tags attached to female drinkers. It's interesting because men, you're, you're quite right. It's nuanced. It's almost unsaid, yeah. possibly. I don't think it's nuanced at all. I, don't, I really don't. I think it, if you're a mother and you're mm. an alcoholic, you're a bad mother. You know, that's what people are thinking. Yeah. And they might say it. And if you're, you know, you're single, and then you're an easy lay, you know, as far mm. as men concerns, that that's how it's perceived. And whereas you quite rightly, you know, intimated with men, it's, yeah, you're one of the lads and, you know, pat on the back, have another beer. Whereas for a woman, it's totally different. And, you know, hence the overriding shame. And, and, and also, I do believe that female um, drinkers and speaking for myself, you know, especially is that we're you know, we can function very effectively mm. whilst hiding it. And that is exhausting and it's very lonely. Um, it's a very lonely place to be. So, yeah, there are a lot of high-functioning female alcoholics out there. Um, and uh, But, you know, there is a solution. But there you've is. got to be ready yourself. Did you do AA, can I ask? Mm-hmm, yeah. I didn't go to rehab. I just, one day I walked into um, an AA meeting. And that was it. It was like coming home and listening to people's shares and, you know, the identifi identification and the lack of judgment. Mm. And it was, ama it was amazing. It was so freeing and liberating. And then to know that I could do something about it myself, I didn't have to rely on anybody else. That was a light bulb, bulb moment for me. I think the, the the lack of judgment must be really liberating because you carry you carry that secret for so long, don't you? And I think admitting to yourself that you have a problem is 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 one thing. Saying it out loud is another. Mm. And then just being able mm -hmm. to kind of unravel and work through all of that in a group of mm. confidence. Really, it is a confidence. Mm. You know, it's a confidence that people should uh, and pretty much do keep in AA. Mm. 
Mm, absolutely. It's it's and it's just, you know, knowing that people understand you <laughs> because, you know, the drinking side of it is really just a, one of the symptoms of being an alcoholic. It is a mental disorder. And with that come a lot of isms. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there can be anxiety, um, guilt, um, you know, your brain is always chattering to you. There are so many different things, and um, and that's why you know we drink in the first place is to try and shut those noises out in your head, numb it and self medicate. Yeah, but you know, and everybody's different, Kate. As you you you're clearly very knowledgeable about it, which is fantastic. And you know, everybody is different. Everybody, uh, you know, there are some people who can drink two bottles a night of wine, and they're absolutely fine. And there are some people who can drink, you know, drink half a bottle of night and they're, and they're not fine. And it is that point where you become powerless and you can't help yourself anymore. So you have to find someone else or something else, a higher power, something that's bigger than yourself to help you. I wanted to talk about make or break scenarios can you think of a situation or a scenario that's been the making of you and also of a time or a scenario that was the breaking of you wow i think the making of me was or has been walking into my first alcoholics anonymous meeting because um i'm now and that that was like sort of about eight years ago and I think now I am discovering and it sounds such a cliche but it I'm discovering who I am not all of it is good at all um I'm learning my defects you know I'm, I can be a bit passive aggressive I can be codependent I can be a bit poor me victim really that surprises me yeah that I definitely, um, I think that that has been the making of me. And it's, you know, I'm not made by, I'm not made by long, long, long shot. You know, it's a work in progress. I am a work in progress. Um, and I think the breaking of me, I don't think I've ever been totally broken. Really? That's amazing. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been totally broken. I've never allowed myself to be totally broken. I'm quite, because my mother was um, severely bipolar and, um, you know, with multiple suicide attempts, I, I learned from a very young age to cope. So I've had this coping mechanism, which has stood me in good stead, actually. It's made me very, very strong in a, in a lot of ways. It's also, you know, damaging in other ways. But I think that's why I've never truly hit a break, a breaking point. It's probably yet to come. Well, who? We, none of us know that, do we? But mm. it must have been almost heartbreaking at the time to go through that, especially as a child watching the person that you love make attempts on their lives or struggle with their day-to-day, -day, being high one minute and low the next, as is quite common mm. with bipolar. Yeah, but for me, it's like, you know, a lot of children, you, you, you know, children are brilliant at adapting. And um, I think that's what I learned to do. Yes, the kind of anxiety every morning, waking up and thinking, how is she going to be today? But you kind of, you normalise it. You know, you normalise it. You have to. And 
I didn't assume that other people's parents were the same. You know, I was quite isolated growing up as a child, so I didn't really know other people's parents. And, but I do remember going to stay with someone when I was about 15 with a, with a friend, school friend, and the mother waking me up in the morning with a cup of tea. And I remember being so moved and emotional by that, that someone, you know, someone's mother would, would do that and with such a lovely gesture. And I remember being incredibly moved by that. Because it was so unlike your own experiences at home. Yeah, and my mother was wonderful. You know, she she in the, she really did do the best she could, and she was very loving. But she was, you know, she couldn't function, and it was. And I look back, and I, you know, I wish you know she died quite a long time ago, and I wish I'd known then, you know, in hindsight, what I know now. Mm. Um, and I, because a she could have been helped far more effectively because you know, mental illness is, is something people are talking about now. But when, you know, my father was in denial about it and uh, she was just throwing pills and more pills and more pills. And, you know, that was it. She, she never once went into psychotherapy. Um, it was just a catalogue of different medication, suicide attempts into, you know, residential care out and she'd be all right for a bit and then they'd change her medication but you just learn to adapt it's it's extraordinary so i don't look back and think oh god you know poor, poor young small susanna you know i had the love of an amazing mother you know, i had amazing love from her and she was an incredible woman she was totally unjudgmental and she never felt she was better than anyone else um and I learned that from her, and that's that's a great gift, and that's something I try and instill into my own children, you know, never to think they're better than anyone else. Did you worry about her because you were away at school, you were boarded, and that prob that may that may be why you were boarded. I don't know, but that that would I'm thinking from your perspective as a child, not being there to see that she's okay or that she's not okay would would that create anxiety for you? Mm, and I think you're you're absolutely right. I don't think I consciously worried about her, but I was incredibly homesick and I hated boarding, boarding school and I hated being separated from her, from her. And I think subconsciously it was because I was like her watcher and her keeper. My sister's six years older than me. So she, you know, we, we didn't have a the luxury of growing up together. We're now very, very close and very good friends. But um, at that time, so, you know, I was like the carer in a way for my mum. Mm. And I'm sure that's what brought on the homesickness and the anxiety. Gosh, imagine if your mother was uh, going through that in this day and age, how different the support and the help would be. It would have been so different, Kate. And, you know, when she died, she was almost in a catatonic, well, she was in a cat, she was catatonic. And, you know, it was a relief for her. You know, she was in so much pain. We could just see it etched all over her face and had been in so much pain for the last part of her life that, you know, it was a relief for her that she passed away. Did yeah. she, did she drink? Did she... Did yeah, she, she drank. But I don't know. Yeah, she did. But then she stopped of her own accord. And I think for her, it really was self-medication because, mm. you know, when she was depressed and then she just stopped. She just stopped. 
Gosh, that's a lot to get your head around. And you, I always find as well now that anything from our childhood, whilst you deal with that as a young adult, I think once you become a parent, you start viewing, reviewing almost your own situation as a child being parented with a very different mm. lens. Did you find that when you had your own kids that you started to understand her better, empathise more? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and weirdly, I think I appreciated her. I kind of saw the... Um, the positives much more than the negatives because I you know I went through phases of being angry and I was never embarrassed I was never embarrassed or ashamed of her I'd have friends to stay often and but I think I you know I I really I understood and learned to be grateful for what a a good person she fundamentally was it's funny isn't it Love stories come in all different shapes and guises. Mm. Before we move on to our next question, can I just ask you if, you know, you talked about the making of you being going into that first AA meeting. Mm. Can you still remember what it was like to walk into that room, how it smelt, how you felt? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I think those moments are so massive in our minds. Mm. It was, it really was. It was the first time I understood that I was doing this for myself. Mm. I wasn't doing it for anyone else and I was doing it for myself and I, you know, it was like I had to get well for myself in order to be the mother, the wife, the, you know, the career person um, that I wanted to be and wanted to get back to and that was massive. It's like standing at the foot of a mountain, isn't it, and thinking, Mm. right, how am I going to get up there? Mm, exactly. But congratulations, eight years Thank on. Thank you. Still Thank you. nailing it. One day at a time, as they say. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Now, my next question kind of harks back to something we touched upon when I spoke with you on your podcast. Um, And it was about identity. And you kind of touched on that just now um, in terms of how you had to rebuild yourself as a mother, as a wife, as a career woman. And actually, we spoke about how damaging it is sometimes that our work persona becomes our identity. And it creeps in and it happens not overnight. It, It just it becomes who you are. And then suddenly when that work rug is pulled from under your feet and you and I have both been through that mm-hmm, where we have to mm-hmm. you go oh my god who actually am I and I think a lot of people coming through this pandemic as we start to slowly unlock are going to start to re-identify who they are what they want from life so I just thought you've got a whole toolkit there that you could probably share with people around that and I'd love to know how you did it because I've done it for myself it's not easy but it's really, really worth it when you get to the other end of it and go, I'm Kate, first and foremost, and this is what I do for a living. But there's loads of other things in between those two sentences, mm-hmm. those two mm-hmm. those two titles, if you like. Mm-hmm. I don't really know who I am <laughs> yet. No. No, and I think it's... I, I think we have, as people, we evolve all the time. And I think it's... I mean, of course, on the surface, I know who I am and I know what my, you know, bad sides are and my good sides are and all of that. But I think it's it's kind of, you know, it's like the world is so small now and everyone's travelled everywhere. But the last frontier is the, you know, hu- human beings. It's like, who are people? And I think we've really lost sight of that. And... And that's why actually Ben Fogel's show, when he goes and lives with um, you mm. know people who've who've gone off the grid, I think I find that I've only watched a few of them, but I find that so interesting because that is yes they live off the grid, but what's more going off piste as you like is meeting these characters, and I I see myself in the same way. I, I I'm continually pushing myself to find out who I am and how far I can push myself physically, mentally, emotionally. And yeah, you know, like I say, on the surface, I know I'm, you know, a wife and a mother of three children and I can write and I can communicate with people. I know that I'm quite lazy, but I'm also ambitious, but I don't really want to have to work that hard to get to it. so yeah, I I I really don't know, you know, I don't know deep who I am on a deep level, and I think you know that's something I've got to try and discover. But surely, what we are is um, is, is entirely informed by our experiences through life, and we continue to experience, so we continue to inform our identity. You know, an experience will shape or break us, even though you've never had quite the experience of feeling broken. Um, you talked about, you know, when you and Trini went your separate ways, you stopped being Trini and Susanna. And it was like, oh, how do I become Susanna again? And you had to learn to stand away from work and, and be who you are and like who you are. Was that easy? No, it was incredibly difficult. And that's I think that is probably why I, I'm still, you know, on a journey, a journey of discovery I mean, you know, to be honest, I'm not really that interested in who I am. Um, (laughs) 
Trini and I would work together for 15 years or 17 years, and that is a long time. And when we started working together, we were in our kind of late 20s, early 30s. And and so we hadn't kind of really, yeah, we'd grown up to a certain degree, but, but we hadn't. So I, you know, I've had to start again as a solo person. And so I don't have the luxury of many years under my belt. You know, I, I, I think I identify, I mean, if I could put a, not a label on myself, but, you know, give myself a heading, it would be someone who is kind of low maintenance and likes a low maintenance lifestyle. You know, I don't like all the frills and the lights and the, you know, everything that came with what Trini and I were doing. Mm. And I look back and I think, my God, how on earth did I manage to do that? Because that's fundamentally, I think, who not who I am. The person I, who I am, going to answer your question now, finally, is the person who loves nature, who goes, you know, wild and cold water swimming, the person who will push herself physically, the person who wants to be beautiful on the inside and I don't mean that in a kind of you know put stick my finger down my throat because I'm a good person I want to if someone open if a doctor opened me up I want him to would want him to look at my organs and go oh my god that's just so clean and perfect um you know that's that's what I want I want to be really young on the inside I want my body to feel young and be young on the inside and how I look on the outside you know there's nothing I can do about that and uh, so I just sort of accept it really. I completely identify with what you're saying there because actually we I think certainly when you've had the experiences you have with the lights, the camera, the action and being so high profile and so well known for so long. Actually, you sort of rail against that once you've had your fill of it. And maybe that was right for them. But the wild water swimming and the nature loving and this is right for you right now. Would that have been right for you back then, do you think? Um, yeah, no, you're right. probably not. Probably not. There's, you know, I think anyone who works in the public eye, you know, on television or whatever I think there is a big part of us that is a bit narcissistic a bit bit of mm -hmm. a show off a bit of a bullshit artist um and I think you know there is there is still that in me you know I am a bit of a show off I like to be the center of attention you know I'll walk into if I meet someone new I'll make damn sure they're going to remember who I am by <laughs> you know saying something outrageous or you know I don't have much of a filter um, you know, I speak my mind and, um, that hasn't changed. So yeah, no, I think I've, you know, I, God, I don't regret anything I've done. I've been so lucky and I love, I did love every minute of it. And I loved working with Trini and worked with some amazing women and contributors and crews and been to incredible countries and made friends, mm. long lasting friends. And that has been fantastic. And that, you know, those friend friendships that I made in Israel, in Scandinavia, in India, they're, they're there and they will be there always. And that's a real privilege. It's, I mean, you girls, you worked fast and hard and everywhere. I mean, it was... It was like a pop band that exploded. You became international. I, I, I jumped on a flight with you to New York once um, we were going to Elton John's 60th birthday party. I was the host, you were a guest. 
and um and you girls that you like your passports were you know the size of a sort of small bedside bible you never you really were you were and you were such proficient flyers i was pregnant you were like right you need to get these socks on otherwise you could die midair we're professionals we know what we're doing now go to the bar and have a bloody drink and you were living a hard fast life maybe those moments aren't meant to last forever maybe it's just you gorge on it and then you go that's enough now Mm. But and it's I think it's nice. that's right, and I think it's recognizing that and being at peace with that. And you know, it's not easy. It's not easy to turn the volume down, and uh, you know, it just takes time. And and you know, it's peace and tranquility now, rather than the fast living. I do, I do miss it. You know, I miss getting on an aeroplane, and I miss, I do miss working with a group of people to create something as a team. Um, I miss that, the kind of, you know, TV families, and I miss that a lot. But at the same time, you know, I, that if it's meant to be, some of that will come back again, and maybe in a different way. I, I, I don't know, I'm still, still searching. Yeah. yeah, and you say, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's difficult to turn the volume down. You know, I think, I can only speak from my own experience, it's only ego that gets in the way of that. Sometimes you wanted to lower the volume. It's just your ego wouldn't allow mm-hmm. you to because it looked like a step back or a step down. And actually, success is how you define success. It's not how somebody else would measure it for you. Mm-hmm. And I think I think once you work through those that that difficult mathematical equation of like, mm-hmm. no, my success is what I decide, not what somebody else decides for me. Yeah. Then you're mu- you're on a much healthier path then to working yeah. out the next step of who you are it's complicated isn't it yeah it We're complicated is. old souls yeah but that's that's so interesting i haven't heard it put like that and you're quite right it is you, you've got to you've got to decide on your own success and level and mm. if you're comfortable about it it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because you spend so much time pleasing other people um, and I think as we get older, it's, we have the luxury of, of beginning to please ourselves. It's, it's trying to conform to other people's ideas of success yeah, yeah. and always trying to stay doing that one thing. And actually, you know, I don't want to eat the same food every day. So why would I want to do the same job every day? Mm. And actually, do I want to do that for 20 years? Am I might mm. not, you know, mm. and, and I don't think our children will have that weight of expectation that they carry around their professional identities because they'll be more than um, prepared, I hope, going into the working world to expect that there'll be lots of iterations of who they are professionally. Mm, Just because technology does, technology does, I mean, look, when we both started out, when we were sat on that plane going to Elton's 60th, um, you know, social media didn't exist. It's changed everything in terms of the way we work. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Look at us now. I think all of us have great teachers in our back catalogue. And I want to know, who have been your greatest teachers? So many people, Kate. Princess Margaret was one. You were very close with her, weren't you? Yeah, and I went out with her son, David, for many years. And I was very close with her when my mum was at her peak of, you know, her illness reached its, its kind of height. She very much became a sort of mother figure. Well, I was almost like kind of her Pygmalion. And 
I was very close to her and she taught, I can't kind of think of anything that she specifically taught me, but she, she taught me how to kind of conduct myself, I think, and how to not really care about what other people think, um, which is of huge value. She was an amazing woman and I, I really, I miss her and I loved her dearly. And she, she taught me to be completely open and she was someone who I could absolutely pour my heart out to and speak my mind. And, um, you know, she's, she's been so misunderstood. Uh, and of course she could be, you know, she had her reputation of being difficult, which she could be, but if she, realize that you were someone who hadn't didn't want anything from her or wasn't hoping to gain by an association with her she was an incredibly loyal warm loving brilliant smart highly intelligent funny woman so she's definitely someone who i feel so blessed to have had in my life isn't it interesting as well the, th the thing that she taught you there you said was to be open and yet this is from a woman who spent her entire life having to be remarkably closed off you yes and no yes and no i think when you're you you know it's like growing up in a zoo being mm. in that environment and you've got people pressed up you their noses pressed up to the glass mm. you know it's like being a silverback gorilla you've got people with their noses pressed up against the window. So you learn to, to ignore it. You learn to just get on with your life because you have no, no other option. So, um, you know, she was truly herself, I think at all times. And I have, I, I had huge respect for that. If you wanted to just speak with Margaret, did you just call her? Could you just drop in? Was it, how does, how does that work? Um, well, I was kind of, you know, I spent a lot of time with them and um, I would just, yeah, I would ring or turn up or, you know, it was the same as any other family, really. Very, you know, you, I didn't really think about who she was. She was just my boyfriend's mum. Yeah, that's lovely. Mm. Who else? Who else has shaped, informed and educated? I think probably my husband, Steen, um, and also my children. I've learned so mm. much from my children, but I think my husband, he's someone who has a thirst for knowledge. He's someone who will, I don't always like to get his opinion because I know I'll get the brutal truth and more <laughs> often than not, it won't be what I want to hear. And I'm still <laughs> trying to get my head around that one. Um, uh, do you understand the irony though of, of yeah. the fact that you are famous for straight talking, no nonsense advice giving? I know. <laughs> But it's like you don't, you know, the people you love the most are the hardest to communicate with sometimes. And, um, but he's next, he, he's, what he's taught me more than anything is about family. And growing up, because my family was quite dysfunctional, I, I wanted to get away from my family as, as quickly and as fast as I possibly could. I was out that door, you know, at the age of 16. And, um, I didn't really put any value on them. You know, my friends became my family. I sought my family. So when I was, you know, in my friends, they they kind of fitted into two categories. I either had the naughty children who I could be naughty with, or I had the sort of parental, slightly more sensible friends. 
And so, if you like, Princess Margaret was the mother. Um, and then Steen, you know, he comes from a very close family and I love, his father sadly died, but I was very, very close to his parents and and to his brothers. And I've, I've learned to appreciate that family is the most important thing, whereas I never understood, I never understood that. I thought family was the people, the, they were the people you had to cast off and shed. I absolutely, to my core, believe that. And he's taught me the importance of family. Actually, now that you, you put it like that, and I understand your own experience of childhood, that makes complete sense. Mm. But to hear that as somebody that has not grown up, like Steen, I've grown up with a phenomenal family setup. So I know what family should be, because I feel like mm. I've been blessed to have that. If you haven't, that that gives you no tools to kind of parent, be in a relationship. Actually, that, that family unit and what you're taught with that is so important in terms of setting you out in life mm. if you don't have that but how funny that you try to run from your own family looking for some sort of normal family structure and you run straight into the royal family I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's kind of yeah but you know they they were as individuals forget their relationships with each other Ind individually you know amazingly well-informed interesting people but, yeah. you know, Steen's family were just the best. And weirdly, I worked for his father for four years before I met Steen. And, no. Because um, he was, yeah, he backed John Galliano when he came fresh out of um, St. Martin's. And uh, he backed him and he backed Alistair Blair and Richard James, menswear designer, Patrick Cox, shoe designer. So I worked for him. So I knew both Steen's parents really well before I met wow. Steen. And then I met Steen independently and we started talking and I was like, oh my God, is your father, Peter? And he went, yeah. I went, what are the chances, you know, it was like, what are the chances of that? So I, I married Steen, but I also married his family. And I, you know, I, I loved lovely. them to bits, yeah. How did you meet Steen? Uh, we met at a party. It was cliche, eyes met, that was it. Love at first sight. Really? Yeah. Instant. Inst instant? Totally instant, yeah. And 26 years later, God, we're still here, clinging on. Um, Hardly clinging. I, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I mean, you're very happy together by, by all accounts, I hope. Mm -hmm. 26 years mm -hmm. in. Does he continue to teach you? Yeah, he does. Absolutely. And But I, I have to learn to listen more. You know, I have to learn to listen. And, and I, I, I trust his opinion 100%. He... he again, is incredibly smart. And he's an old soul, which I don't consider myself to be at all. I consider myself to be brand spanking new. Um, and he's an old soul. And I, I love his deep wisdom. You know, he's, he's I st I'm still getting to know him after 26 oh. years. I'm still, oh, he's such a Make me of, want to cry. Oh, no, but he's, he is an extraordinary person. He is, and he's, he's kind of annoyingly good at everything, which I think is one of the things, reasons I do my cold water swimming is that he can't even get into a heated swimming pool. It's the one thing I can do <laughs> that he can't. <laughs> do you know, that's, that's the possibly some of the most romantic lines I've ever heard attributed oh. uh, from one partner to another. The fact that you remain enthralled by him 
after and and you know the, the fact that you locked eyes and that was it mm. i've never had that experience i really hope that before i pop my clogs i do it sounds magical no it is i mean it's not easy christ sometimes when i want to fucking kill him or <laughs> run away but you know generally you know the, that's that's i think what keeps us together and also it's kind of i do believe and and i'm not good at this and I need to become, you know, I want to become better. It's actually wanting to understand someone, wanting to discover them, wanting to know what makes them tick and what makes them think. And, and that you have to reapproach constantly because we're, cha- we're all changing so much. And, you know, you, you become, you get married, that changes you. You have children. You know, we change all the time. So you've got to re-get to know people. And then when your kids leave we've changed again you know when you get married you sow the garden you sow the seeds and then that needs to be pruned and clipped and then maybe you throw a few more plants in and maybe some of them die and so it's it does need constant tending and you know I, i i want to be better at that and i think that is very important and that's what i believe keeps keeps a relationship going well, you know, of all the things I expected to hear from you, it wasn't that kind of lovely romantic um, breakdown of, of your marriage. Because um, you're such, normally you just you just riff and joke and, and you know, bluster and your comedy. Um, I've never heard you speak so beautifully like that. That's really nice. Well, you bring out, you bring that out in me, Kate. Ah, well, make sure Steen hears this. Fine job. <laughs> I want to, it's like, it's very, very difficult not to be open with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that and you're amazing. And yeah, see you soon, I hope. I really hope so. Lots of love. As always, the show is produced by me, Kate Thornton, alongside Richard Hatherall for Yahoo UK. Editing and co-producing comes from Callum Goddard Mucklow and our music is provided by Andy Bell. His back catalogue is available on iTunes and Spotify. We'll be back next week with more great guests and chat. Now, we didn't drink in this episode, but if you are enjoying a glass of wine whilst you're listening to us, please try to do as we always try to do and drink responsibly. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.